Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know by Heart, and Then Sings My Soul. His newest book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, is a biblical tour through American history and has just been released. Visit robertjmorgan.com for more details and for free downloads related to this resource, or order from your favorite online retailer. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. In my book, 100 Bible Stories That Made America, I tell how our nation's seventh president came to faith in Christ. After leaving the White House, Andrew Jackson returned to his home, the Hermitage, which is near where I live here in Nashville. Jackson was old and ill, but during an 1838 Presbyterian revival meeting, he gave his life to the Lord and he joined a nearby church. The change in him was enormous, and he spent hours reading and studying the Bible and commentaries and hymn books. One day in September of 1843, a group of visitors came and Jackson said, There is a beautiful hymn on the subject of the exceeding great and precious promises of God to his people. It was a favorite hymn of my dear wife until the day of her death. It begins thus, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. I wish you would sing it now. And they did. And Old Hickory relished the moment. At the beginning of 1845, Jackson's condition deteriorated. On Sunday, May 24th, he told his family, Death has no terrors for me. The Lord will take me to himself, but what are my sufferings compared with those of the blessed Savior who died on the accursed tree for me? The following Thursday, he told a visiting pastor, Sir, I am in the hands of a merciful God. I have full confidence in his goodness and mercy. My lamp of life is nearly out, and the last glimmer has come. I am ready to depart. The Bible is true. Upon that sacred volume I rest my hope for eternal salvation through the merits and blood of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That night, Jackson spoke of the comfort he received from the hymns, and from memory, he recited a verse of How Firm a Foundation. And the verse that Jackson recited is the one that we're coming to today in our own study. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. This stanza is based on a powerful promise found in the book of the prophet Isaiah. As I said in the last podcast episode, the final 27 chapters of Isaiah were addressed to Babylonian exiles who were being allowed by the Persian king, Cyrus, to return to their homeland. They had been through terrible times and they were facing daunting challenges. But in these 28 chapters, the Almighty God of Israel, through the penmanship of Isaiah, drew picture after picture, using image after image to convey how much he was going to help them. Isaiah 43 says, 
But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, they will sweep not over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is an example of one of the Bible's exceedingly great and precious promises, and it unfolds in five certainties. You can underline these great verbs. There are five things here that the child of God, the person who knows Christ as Savior, can be utterly certain of. First, He made you. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 1 again. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob. This word created is vital to us. The world says that we evolved. In other words, according to the world, random chemical forces just happen to develop by mutation over millions of years, taking you from a speck of sediment in a slimy bog to a fully functioning but short-lived carbon-based life form with no ultimate purpose, destined to perish at any moment and without any eternal significance. That theory is unphilosophically sound. It's not physically helpful or mentally beneficial or scientifically true. It has what biochemist Michael Behe calls inherent, unavoidable, fatal flaws. But when you use the word created, when you say, Almighty God created me, the God who is omniscient and omnipotent and holy and loving and purposeful, well, that makes everything different. He wanted you to be in this world. He wanted to know you, to fellowship with you, to use you, to bless you. He made you deliberately and wonderfully. And second, he formed you. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 1 again. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. And the Lord explains this further down in verse 21 of the same chapter. He talked about the people I formed for myself that they might proclaim my praise. You have a God who not only created you, but he has shaped your life and he is forming and fashioning you to perform and to proclaim his praise. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 10 says that we are his workmanship. Psalm 33 15 says that he forms our hearts. Psalm 119 verse 72 says, your hands made me and formed me. So give me understanding to learn your commandments. And Galatians 4.19 says that his great desire for us is this, that Jesus Christ might be formed within us. God forms us so that Christ might be formed within us. Just as the Lord formed our bodies in our mother's womb, so he wants to form our personalities, our spirits, and our souls. He is the potter and we are the clay. I cannot believe how he has done this with me. I was a shy, introverted, immature mountain boy, and in many ways I still am. But over the years, I can see how God has slowly shaped my life a little bit more into what he wants me to be. I'm still so far short of the goal, 
but I'm glad for any bit of progress. He made us, and he forms us, and thirdly, he redeems us. The verse says again, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. With Israel, this great act of redemption occurred in the book of Exodus when the Passover lamb was slain and they were liberated from slavery in Egypt. With us, it occurred when the Lamb of God was slain for our sins and he died on the cross for us. He has redeemed us by the blood. And fourth, he summons us by name. Isaiah 43, 1 again. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, and I have summoned you by name. I wonder if it surprises you to know that God is very familiar with your name. The Bible is emphatic about that point. In Isaiah 33, 12, he said to Moses, I know you by name. Isaiah 49, verse 16 says that our names are written on the palms of his hands. Jesus said, in John chapter 10, the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name. And Revelation 21:27 says that our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Incidentally, Psalm 147 and verse 4 even says, He determines the number of the stars and calls each one by name. And Isaiah 40 makes the same point. He brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Jesus called people by their names, and sometimes he repeated the name twice. Martha, Martha, Peter, Peter. There's a popular song that says, He knows my name, he knows my every thought, he sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. And now fifthly, he keeps us. And that brings us to Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, they will not sweep over you. Isaiah was probably thinking here of the miracles at the Red Sea and later when the Jordan River parted to let the Israelites through. This is the verse that flashed into missionary Elizabeth Elliot's mind when she stood by the shortwave radio in the jungle of Ecuador in 1956 and heard that her husband, Jim, was missing. Elizabeth realized that God was not promising her anything specific about her husband, but as Isaiah 43 verse 2 came forcibly to her mind, she realized that God was promising that he himself would be with her whatever happened. And Jim and his four fellow missionaries were martyred. But the Lord bore Elizabeth through that and over the years gave her a tremendous ministry. And over the next 54 years, she wrote 28 books and one of them had a profound impact upon my wife Katrina when she was a young person and led her to go to Columbia Bible College where I met her. And later, when Elizabeth's memory began to fail, according to her biographers, she again turned back to Isaiah 43 verse 2 for comfort, and it was apparently the last verse on her mind. So listen to the whole thing. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, they will not sweep over you. 
Oh, what a verse that is. As I prepared this message, I read several articles about how to ford a river. It's not easy if the river is fast or flooded, but if you have to do it, you find the most shallow place available and send over the best swimmer with a rope. He wades or swims across the river and secures the rope to a tree, and then the leader on the other side, the first side, ties the first end of the rope to a tree, and then the group goes into the water, one by one, holding tightly to the suspended rope. I saw a videotape of an entire village in northern India that was about to be flooded, and the people escaped in this way by holding onto the rope stretched across the river. It was a breathtaking and dangerous operation. But imagine this. Imagine you had a river to cross and the rope is suspended, but the river was deep and swift. But what if, as you crossed that river, there was also a rope harnessed to you and held from above? It would not only give you reassurance, it would lift you and pull you to the other side. And that is something of the image that comes to my mind in Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, which became the inspiration for our stanza today of How Firm a Foundation. But I want to mention something else. The hymnist went a little bit further, and he gave us some words, a formula, that are as deep and meaningful as anything I've ever read in devotional literature. Let me quote this hymn again. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. This is the power of our hymnody. I contend that apart from the Bible itself, the hymn book contains the greatest treasure trove of truth and inspiration that we can find on earth. And the writer here has put in versified form one of the greatest doctrines in the Bible. He says that God will bless our troubles and sanctify to us our deepest distress. When I think of my deepest distress, two or three matters come to my mind. Over the years, I've had a handful of distresses that were so great, I truly thought I might drown. To think that God would use those matters for himself and for my ultimate good and for the good of others is amazing. If you've never heard about or read about George Mueller, you should find a biography of him. He accomplished amazing things for Christ through faith, and he was a man of intense trust and prayer. On one occasion, he said, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory, no exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. I say, and I say it deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. Well, to think that God can bless our troubles and sanctify to us our deepest distress is a reverberating truth that comes right from Scripture. So let me share several Bible verses that teach, in essence, the truth that we see in this stanza of our hymn. The first is Nehemiah 13, verse 2. In the book of Numbers, the king of Moab hired a soothsayer named Balaam to curse the people of Israel, but God compelled Balaam to bless them instead. 
And Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 2 says about that incident, Our God turned the curse into a blessing. A similar verse is in Proverbs, or rather is in Psalm 109, verse 28. When they curse you, may you bless. I want to go back and redo that a little bit. A similar verse is Psalm 109, verse 28. When they curse, the psalmist prayed, may you bless. This is God's grace of curse reversal. He blesses our troubles and sanctifies to us our deepest distress. What is cursing your life today? According to the Bible, Almighty God, by His redemptive grace, can turn it into a blessing. Another verse along these lines is Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 8 which says the end of a matter is better than its beginnings. We simply cannot evaluate the circumstances of life until they are over and time has passed and we see how God has worked them out in the end. I read about a church in Vietnam that won many people to the Lord and had many baptisms. And do you know where the baptisms occurred? In a bomb crater left over from the Vietnam War. When the pilot dropped his bomb years ago, he had no idea that he was creating a baptismal pond. God turns the bomb craters of our lives into baptismal sites. He sanctifies to us our deepest distresses. A third verse is Genesis 50 and verse 20. When Joseph spoke to his brothers, these are the brothers who years before had hated him and caught him like an animal and stripped him and sold him into slavery. These are the brothers who had caused him to endure bondage and slavery and prison from age 17 to age 30. And yet Joseph told them, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. What the devil intends to harm us, God intends it for good. And the fourth verse is the much-loved Romans 8.28, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Years ago, I wrote a book about Romans 8, 28, in which I said, This is the promise that morphs us into resilient sanguines, whatever our temperament. This verse is God's dark room in which negatives become positives. It is his situation reversal machine in which heartaches are changed into hallelujahs, It is the foundation of hope and a fountainhead of confidence. Even our failures can become enriching and our sins can be redeemed. Even death itself becomes a blessing for the child of God. Romans 8.28 is all-inclusive, all-powerful, and it's always available. It is as omnipotent as the God who signed it and sealed it. It's as loving as the Savior who died to unleash it. It can do anything God can do. It can touch any hurt and redeem any problem. It isn't a mere platitude, but a divine promise. It isn't a goal, but a guarantee. It isn't wishful thinking, but a shaft of almighty providence that lands squarely on our pathway every day and every moment. The Lord moves heaven and earth to keep this promise. He puts his eye to the microscope of providential oversight and scans the smallest detail of our lives, working them into a tapestry of blessing, making sure that goodness and mercy follow us all of our days. 
He turns problems inside out, transforming bad things into blessings and converting trials into triumphs. He alone knows how to bring Easter's out of Good Fridays. That great preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said, Everything that happens to you is for your own good. If the waves roll against you, it only speeds your ship toward the port. If lightning and thunder comes, it clears the atmosphere and promotes your soul's health. You gain by loss, you grow healthy in sickness, you live by dying, you are made rich in losses. Could you ask for a better promise? It is better that all things should work out for my good than that all things should be as I could wish them to be. All things might work for my pleasure and yet might all work for my ruin. If all things do not always please me, yet they always benefit me. He said this is the best promise of this life. Pam Pegram is an entrepreneur, an author, a speaker, and a Bible study leader who lives in northern Mississippi. She wrote a very gripping blog post titled, I Wish I Had Known, about the things that she wishes she would have known earlier in life. One of those items on her list is, Oh, how I wish I had known earlier that God is enough. He is all we need. She said that earlier in life she realized God was enough to save her, but she didn't know that he was enough to sustain her. Here is what Pam said. I wish I had known that God is enough to carry me through anything and everything. This truth had to be taught me the hard way. I had to live it. I found myself in a place I thought was going to destroy me. The heartache was so great, I was not sure I could survive it. However, God met me there. He made his presence known to me. As I lay on the floor and sobbed, he was beside me. As I struggled to get through my days, he held me up. When I needed the strength to go on, he supplied it. While that was the hardest time in my life, it has become the sweetest memory in my days. It is when I come to, not just to know Jesus, but it was when I truly came to know him. He proved to me, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He proved to me, Romans 8.28, for we know that all things, even heartbreak, work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And she said he fulfilled his promise to me in Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know the nature of Pam's trial, but I can identify with every word she wrote. And I want to say that if the words of how firm a foundation are biblical and true, it changes our entire calculations about life. I'm so grateful for it. So get to know Isaiah chapter 43 and learn to sing this wonderful stanza of how firm a foundation. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. Edited by Elijah Rowe. Music by Jeff Bennett. 
For more information and resources, visit my website at robertjmorgan.com. Thanks again for joining me, and may God be with you till we meet again.